Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come together and to study your word. We ask you to guide and lead us as we look at this, that your spirit will show us what you want us to see from this. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're in Ezekiel chapter 34. I want to read the whole chapter only because it is a all one thought. I don't know if we're going to make it through the whole chapter. I doubt it because <laughs> there's a lot to cover on it, but I want to read the whole thing. Verse 1, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You, you eat the fat, and you clothe you with the wool. You kill them that are fed, and you feed not the flock. The diseased have you not strengthened, neither have you healed the, that which is sick. Neither have you bound up that which was broken, neither have you brought again that which was driven away, neither have you sought that which was lost, but you with force and with cruelty have you ruled over them. And they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became meat to all the beasts of the fields when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and upon every high hill, yea, my fleet my flock was scattered upon all the face of the earth, and none did search or seek after them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey, and my flock became meat to every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, neither did my shepherds search for my flock. But the shepherds fed themselves, and fed not my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds. I will require my flock at your hand and will cause them to cease from feeding the flock. But neither shall the shepherds feed themselves any more. And I will deliver my flock from their mouth and, and that they may not be meat for them. For thus saith the Lord, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. As the shepherd seeks out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered, so I will seek out my sheep that, and will deliver them out of the places where they have been scattered in, in the cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries and will bring them unto their own land and feed them upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers and all the inhabited places in the, of the country. I will feed them in a good pasture, and upon the high mountains of Israel shall, I, shall their fold be. There shall they lie in the good fold, and in the fat pasture shall they feed upon the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will cause them to lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek that which was lost, and bring again that which was driven away. And I will bind up that which was broken, and will strengthen that which was sick. I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will feed them with judgment. And as for you, O my flock, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I judge between cattle and cattle, and between rams and he-goats. See, seemeth it a small thing unto you that have eaten up the good pastures, but have ye, but you have tread down your, with your feet the residue of your pastures, and to have drunk the deep waters, but you must foul the residue with your feet. And as for my flock, they eat that which you have trodden under your feet, and they drink that which has been fouled with your feet. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God unto them, Behold, I, even I, will judge between the fat cattle and between the lean cattle, because you have thrust with side and with shoulder and pushed away all the disease from, with your horns till, till the, you have scattered them abroad. 
Therefore I will save my flock, I sh and they shall no more be prey, and I will judge between cattle and cattle. And I will set up one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, even my servant David, he shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken it. I will make them a, a covenant of peace and will cause the evil beast to cease out of the land. And they shall dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them a, and the places around about my hill a blessing. And I will cause the showers to come down upon his seasons. And there shall be showers of blessings. And the tree in the field shall yield her fruit. And the earth shall yield her incense. And they shall be safe in the land and shall know that I am the Lord when I have broken the bands of their yoke and delivered them out of the hand of those that serve the, themselves of them. And they shall no more be prey to the heathen, neither shall the beast of the land devour them, but they shall dwell safely, and none shall make them afraid. And I will rise up for, for them and plant of renown, and they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land, neither bear the shame of the heathen any more. Thus shall they know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and they, and that they, even the house of Israel, are my people, says the Lord God. And you, my flock, my flock of my pasture, are men, and I am your God, saith the Lord God. All right. This is a long statement. We see pictures of Jesus in this. We see pictures of the millennial kingdom in this section. And we just see the judgment of God upon false shepherds. So we're going to start taking this apart piece by piece as we go, go through. Verse 1. And the Lord of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? And so God is making a prophecy against the leaders of Israel, the spiritual leaders of Israel. And this is the same message that John the Baptist gave to the the scribes and Pharisees when Jesus came around, the same message that Jesus gave, and it's given over and over. The leaders were taking care of themselves rather than the flock. And when you think about this, when God calls the, the leaders, pastors, prophets, priests, uh, Levites, whatever title you want to put in there, they're to feed the people. And even in our day, there are many pastors who do great harm to the church. They're trying to do what's best for themselves and not for, for the church. They'll take huge exorbitant pay raises and then they'll you know, get everything they can. If they have some kind of ministry, they'll, they'll take the best of the things coming in. And I've seen that happen frequently. You know, a clothes ministry and the best clothes go to the people in the church and, the, and what goes to the people is the, the junk that nobody wants. The, the food comes in and they get stripped, all the good stuff gets stripped out for the, for the workers. It happens frequently. Happens frequently. And, and God's saying, you know, if you're, if you're taking care of my sheep, you get them fed. You don't, you don't strip off the, the, the best. You don't, when you give them messages, you encourage them. You're not trying to crush them. And there are certain pastors that when you listen to them, it's like, do you have any love for your people at all? And, you know, I've heard many of those sermons where it's just, you know, you're, you're all terrible. You're all going to hell if you don't do this and hammer nothing but a hammer. And there's times that a hammer needs to be used, but it, it also has to be used with love. And usually it should be a very rare thing that a hammer needs to be used. It's a 
gentle prodding that is what, what God is using. And he says, you shepherds, you're feeding yourself. You're, you're, doing, you're destroying my sheep and feeding yourself. Verse 3 says, you eat the fat and clothe yourself with the wool. You kill those that are fed, but you feed not the flock. And this is really an accusation. He's, this is kind of an interesting. He says, you eat the fat. All the best things you're, you're eating. You're eating the best of stuff and not giving to them. But this next one, you clothe yourself with wool. What belongs to the sheep, the shepherd was taking. And then it says, and you kill them that are, that are being fed. And have you ever heard you know, messages from some pastor in your lifetime where it was more all death? It seems like everything was designed to make you feel bad, make you feel miserable. Uh, you hear about it every once in a while. People will speak, oh, I go to church. I would love to go to church, but every time I come in, I feel so miserable. I can't. And, you know, it's one thing to be con- con- uh, convicted of your sin when you come out of church. It's another one to feel like you've been beat up. And we don't want that to happen. It says, you shepherds, you're just, you're harming the sheep. You're doing more harm than good. And I've not said under any long term, but, but I have heard these messages, especially on TV every once in a while. If you're not hearing a, a name it and claim it sermon, you're hearing something that's quite harsh on people. And this is, this is what he's saying. You're, you know, are you truly a shepherd? You, shepherds, you're not shepherds. You're not showing any love for these people, when, they, when people go to stray, you're not gently bringing them back. And this is where he gets into in this next verse in four. The diseased have you not strengthened, neither have you healed that which was sick, neither have you bound up that was broken, neither have you brought again that which was driven away, neither have you sought that which was lost, but with force and with cruelty have you ruled over them. And this is that idea, he says, when they are weak, they need to be strengthened. And there's times when our messages have to be just so strong. And this is what I talk about so often. We're to edify one another. We're to build one, one another up. When, you, when somebody's having a hard time, it's not necessarily the time to hit them between the eyes and say, you know, get up and, get up and walk. You know, you know, quit being so lazy. Now, there may be a time for that message. But that's not the first message that we give people. Uh, you know, he says, you, you haven't healed those that are sick. And when people are really having a hard time, that's when they need a gentle hand. Now, I've commented on many times that it seems like when people start having a hard time in their life is the time they start drifting away from the church. Now, I understand the church can be a really hard place sometimes to people. Well, how can you be doing that kind of stuff? You know, you shouldn't be doing that kind of stuff. But you know, there are also people in the church that are going to reach out and love people and say, let's, let's get you the strength. God loves you and we want to see you grow. And I understand the church can be a very bad, hard place. <laughs> you know, but be careful who you're seeking out as your friends in the church too. You don't want to search out the person who doesn't know God, comes once every three or four weeks and doesn't seem to know God. You want to seek out those who are coming frequently, who have grown and are spiritually mature that are actually shepherds, reaching out and saying, hey, you know, you're going to make it. And this is why my message is such that when we are going through hard times, God is still in control and he's got our hand. And the more we can realize that, the better we're going to be, the more strength we're going to have. He says, bound up that which is broken. And if you've ever had a broken bone, you know when they're binding it and setting it is not a pleasant feeling. 
But when they do get it casted and, and, and wrapped up, the pain subsides and gradually gets better as it, as it heals. And if you don't heal up the broken bone, it has a long-term effect on people. And I've heard people go, well, I thought I broke a bone, and then you know, six months later they took an x-ray, and sure enough, it was. And if they're not careful, it may mean that the doctors then have to go back in and break it and set it, depending on how badly it was broken. Uh, you know, I, I've been playing sports in my lifetime. I know I've broken most of my fingers, and you know, I never got them set. But you know, if I had lost a forearm or something, I'd want it bound. I wouldn't want it to be out of commission. And it says, the shepherds, if you had done your job, shepherds, you would have anointed the sick. You would have healed, bound up the, the wounds. You would have helped gather up those that have been scattered. And Jesus talked about this in the, in the Gospels. He said that the hireling doesn't care about the sheep. And there are a lot of spiritual leaders that are hirelings. They're there just for the money. They don't care about their people. They don't care about teaching them truth. They don't care about when they're down trying to lift them up. I've even talked with some pastors, and it's, a, it's an area that I struggle with. How much does a pastor go chase people who stop coming to church? You know, and I'm still one that I want to go chase most of them, at least with a few phone calls and letters. I mean, I'm probably not going to physically chase them, but I'm going to make contact with them. I'm going to let them know you're missed. Now, when do you, when do you stop? And I don't know the answer to that. I talked to some guys who have been pastors for a long time. Well, if they're leaving, I'm just going to let them go until God calls them back because they obviously don't want to be part of my church. And I'm going, I don't think that's the way to go. <laughs> I think that's a little too harsh, and it's too much of a hireling. Now, do we spend weeks and months constantly calling and constantly seeking? I don't know. I don't know, and I don't know the answer to that one. Jesus made it sound like the shepherd was going to keep searching until he found the sheep. That's a tough call, too, especially if somebody doesn't want to be in the church. How long do you chase after them before you say, okay, you know, I'm going to let you go on your own, and when you're ready to come back, you'll, you'll make your call? And I think that's going to be different with every single person. Because some people, you know, it's very clear that they're very tender and you, you should be able to get them back. Others were very hard and you go, okay, we're just going to let you go do what you want until you're softened up. And so this is a hard thing, but here he's saying, shepherds, you are supposed to go out. You're to bind the, weak, you're, you're to bind the wounds. You're to anoint them with the oil and, and, the, and the heal their wounds. You're to draw them back when they run away. And Jesus said, you, you shepherds of Israel, you haven't done that. Matter of fact, he goes, you've even scattered the sheep. You not only haven't, haven't gone and gathered them back, you're the reason they're scattered in the first place. And I've met people that are like that. They're just so hard on people that people scatter. And that's what verse 3. And they are scattered because there is no shepherd, and they became meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. You know, sheep. Sheep have no defensive capability whatsoever. They are a weak animal. They need a shepherd. They need to be cared for all the time. And they need to be watched. The entire pack of sheep or flock of sheep will go right in the middle of an of a enemy camp, you know, just wandering around, and that's how dumb they are. And, yet, and that's why we've said over and over, God has not given us any good news by calling us his sheep. He's basically saying, you need me all the time. 
And we do. We need him all the time. We need a shepherd all the time. And we need to keep that in mind because otherwise we are going to be food for the enemy. Just plain and simple. Verse 6 says, My sheep wander through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yea, my flock was scattered upon the face of the earth, and none did search or seek after them. And this is, we've talked about this, sheep need pasture. Now goats do really well on mountains and rough terrain. Sheep do not do well on rough terrain. They, they, they are animals that abide in the pastures. They, they need still water. They need calm places. And God says, my sheep are all over the mountains. They're all over the hills, which is not where they belong. Uh, hills have all the enemies, all the wild animals to kill them, and they're rough and they're rugged, and sheep are not all that sure-footed. They, they fall on, on top, on, on the mountains. He says, my people are where they don't belong, and they're being prey for the enemy. And he goes, and none of you shepherds are seeking after them. And we see this all through the history of Israel. They keep following after idols. And what's really bad is when you look at some of the stories, you find priests and Levites are the ones leading them in the idolatry. Uh, in John, and Judges, when we get there, we're going to see a couple of times where the, the Levites are being used to be the worship leaders of the idols. And this not just in Judges, but throughout their history, the priests and the Levites oftentimes do not follow, oftentimes do not follow after God and they're leading the people astray. And it's so easy when somebody is supposed to be a leader for them to lead them astray. Yeah, you're supposed to be the spiritual leader, I'm just going to follow you. And that's why God tells us that it, a leader, a teacher, has more accountability before him than just anybody else because they can lead somebody astray. Now that does not release the person who's led astray from their responsibility because their responsibility was to be a good Berean and study. All right, so both are going to be at fault, but the leader, the head of the house, the head of the church, the, the shepherd has a greater responsibility because they were supposed to lead correctly. They, they took a title, they became, they, they have that title. God will say, you led those people wrong because people tend to just follow leaders. And it's a really sad thing that people do that, which is why I and just about every good pastor encourages people, study, get in and check out what's being said. Don't believe it just because the leader says it. Because if the leader goes astray, that's, that's a big problem, but we want to keep ourselves going forward. And here says these leaders kept leading people astray. Is that why they get involved with other religions? Sometimes. Sometimes. In this case, in the case of the Levites and priests, they got their title and position just because of their birth. Had nothing to do with I'm following God or even that I want to follow God or that I know God. I was, you know, if you were born a Levite, you were a Levite. You were born a priest, you were a priest. Now, you didn't have to go out and participate in the work so much, but you were born into that position, and a lot of times they would do it without having any uh, desire to do it. But I've also seen it in, in people. The, it's not as much in our day because pastors and priests are not paid as much, 
But in the 1700s, 1800s, 1600s, one of the best paid jobs and respected jobs was to be a pastor or a priest or get into the ministry. It was a respected job and a usually well paid because people bought their seats in the church and all that money went to the pastor. It was a, you usually had a pretty good job. So it was kind of, a lot of people sought it not because they wanted to be a spiritual leader, but they just looked at it as, you know, as most people in the church, if, hey pastor, you only work one day a week for one hour a week, you know, you've got a really easy job. You know, but I also want you to be there when I'm sick and visit these people that are sick and, and do all these things, but you only, you're only working one day a week. If you're there just for respect, you're in it for the wrong reason. Respect can come with the position and respect can come when a pastor does a good job. He's teaching people and, and encouraging them and people take and say, oh, that's what a shepherd's supposed to do and they get respect, but that's not the reason you get into the position because you've got to be able to say the hard things, do the hard things and, and share the gospel with every individual. And he's saying, you know, they went astray, they got scattered, and you didn't even seek after them. You did not even go, you know, you didn't even make a phone call. You didn't even go visit them or anything. And I've been amazed over the years what a phone call or visit can do to people, you know, to bring them back to God. Because people can, if they don't get a phone call, don't get a visit, they'll use that as their reason for staying away. They left, but it's because nobody called them, nobody visited them, nobody made, left them, sent them a letter. That's why they're not in church anymore. Not the fact that they wandered away for three, three, four, five, six weeks, but that nobody cared, nobody loved them, and they'll have a pity party. I did it when I was workaholic, and I missed church for about six straight weeks, and nobody bothered to call me, and it gave me just one more thing not to come. You know, one more reason not to come. Well, I just got busy. Nobody there cares whether I'm there or not, and the next thing you know, I've been a year. It's not hard. I understand it from the inside how easy it is for it to happen. Who are, who are you spending time talking to and getting to know so that they'll know that you're missing? Sometimes, it's, you know, in our child's church, it's not hard to know who's missing. Uh, but if you get a church of two, three, four hundred people and somebody's missing, you have to have a large number of people missing before you really recognize that some people are missing. And at that large number, nobody has time to call every single person in the church. You'd, you'd have a full-time position just having somebody call and visit those people every month. But this is why it's important for us to get to know one another in the church so that when somebody's missing, there's at least three or four people that are saying, you know, hey, we missed you. And there's also that camaraderie that says, I want to call you and just hang out with you or whatever. When I was younger and very much introverted, I didn't go purposely speak to anybody. So because I never spoke to anybody, people didn't speak back to me. And there's a lot of people that just won't talk to other people in the church. And you know, they come in, sit down, and usually they come in right as church is starting or right after church has started. And as soon as church ends, they're out the door. Now I sit around and people aren't gone an hour after church sometimes. But that to me is a great thing because people are saying, I want to get to know each other and not, not have these problems. And this is where you get built up, you get edified, you get to know people. You get to look at them and say, you know, hey, you know, this is a brother or sister in Christ and I'm going to get to know them. And it's a very important part of the ministry of the church. Verse seven, therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. So again, he's talking to them. As I live, saith the Lord God, Surely because my flock became a prey and my flock became meat to every beast of the field because there was no shepherd 
Neither did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and fed not my flock. Therefore, O you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. So again, he's coming after him. He goes, you didn't do your job. Plain and simple, if you're a shepherd, you're supposed to do your job. You're supposed to feed the flock and take care of it. And otherwise, you're just a hireling. You're there for the money to, to take the money. And you know, this is something that I've seen over and over there. How many people, not just as shepherds, but how many people in this world do as little as possible for whatever job they're doing? Now, I've seen it over and over in my lifetime. I've seen people work harder at not working than they would have to work. And most people are like that. They work harder to do nothing than they do would have if they had worked. And here the shepherds weren't even doing anything. They weren't even trying to pretend to work. Lamb got lost. Oh, well, something deleted. It's replaceable. They'll, they'll have another lamb. And this is that attitude of some of these pastors I talk to. You know, somebody leaves, well, another one will replace them. God will bring another one. Yeah, and that's kind of a sad point. You know, how hard do you chase them? I don't know, but I, don't, I know you just don't leave them out on their own. That has no compassion, no love at all. And that's a dangerous place to be. We've got to be careful. Again, how long, how often do we ch chase after them? I don't know the answer to that either. Because <laughs> I've struggled with that. Because there's a few people that have left here and I'm going, okay, how, how long, how many phone calls do I make? How many visits do I make? Some I've visited several times. Some I've made lots of phone calls to. Some I've made letter, dropped letters to. And I'm not trying to convince them or drag them back, but I want them to let them know that they're missed more than anything else and say, this is what's needed. If you, need, you need to be fed. And the question is, who were you serving? Who, you know, what were you trying to do? You know, a lot of people get older and say, God, I've done, all my, I've done my service for you. It's time for the younger generation to take over. And you know, there's so much work in a church that we don't need this generation idea. There's, you know, I could get every older person in, around any church and get every young person in the church, get everybody doing something and still not have, have things left that need to be done. But it really does. It goes down to what is our motive? Why, why am I getting my tithes and offerings to God? Am I trying to say, God, look what I'm doing for you, or God, I'm just honoring you and giving back what you've said to give and use it the way you want? Am I teaching because I'm going, God, I just want everybody to know how wonderful I am while I teach. Am I leading singing because I just want everybody to know what a wonderful singer I am and you know, look at me. There's a problem with this. If you're, if you're serving just to be seen and be acknowledged, you're serving for the wrong reasons. If you're giving to them just so you can point, oh, look at this, I give, you know, this church wouldn't be able to survive without me. Oh, yeah, it would. God, God can more than, handle, more than handle whatever you're giving, so it's not a problem. He does not need your money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the hills and all the gold in the hills. He can provide for the church without any, any one giver. And, but the question is, what is the motive? Why am I serving? Why am I giving? Why am I standing up for God? And that comes down to the question, if nobody at all knew what I was doing, would I still do it? And that's a very important question for us. You know, if nobody recognized, you know, if all of our offering was done on cash with no envelopes, would I still dump in the same amount of money as I do with my check or my envelope? And it's very important for us to consider those kind of questions sometimes. Because, and as, as I said, and I reiterated it on Sunday during the business meeting, I don't know who gives, and I don't want to know who gives. Part of my goal with our church is to keep upping our needs so that we are challenging people to respond in a deeper way. 
not because of anything else, but just to say, what is your response to God and his needs? I'm amazed at what, how giving this church is. I'm amazed at how much we give. I mean, we're now up to 14% of everything that comes in goes back out to help different ministries with the increase from this Sunday. You know, we're purposely trying to get the church to give more. And I've always had this idea that if the church can't give, how can we expect people to give? And I've always believed that. And I've really believed that if a church can't tithe, they can't expect their people to tithe. For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock in the day, and he that is among his sheep that are scattered, so I will seek out my sheep, and I will deliver them out of the places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. So God says, I am going to go get my sheep. And you know, we literally saw this happen because Jesus came down to this world so that he could gather the sheep. And he said, I am the good shepherd. And he goes out and he knows when to not seek the sheep. He knows when to keep following the sheep. And he says he's going to be that shepherd that keeps seeking. He's got great patience, great, great longing to find those sheep and to work with them. And when I look at Jesus' example, I says, okay, I've got to do so much more, but go after some of these people that don't, you know, that fall away. But it's important that we reach out and touch people that are missing. Because that's what it takes for people. People can give all kinds of excuses. Well, nobody loved me. Well, if we take that away from them, they lose that excuse. You know, I just, I went away and nobody called me. Well, as long as somebody calls them, and then that excuse is gone. Yeah, there's a point where you just know, I mean, if they're ignoring all your reaching out to them, and they're, or they're changing their story, because it starts out with, well, well, you're the only person that's ever called me, and then they still don't show up, and well, I promise, and I'll be there, and then they still don't show up. You know, you get to a place where it's like, when am I spending more of my time than it's worth getting back? Because there are a lot of other people. And this is where these older pastors who say, you know, people leave, they just let them go type mentality. What they're saying basically is there's so many more people out there for me to reach out to, I might as well go for those who don't have reasons not to come. And, there's, and I understand their argument. As a human being, we only have so much time to spend chasing after people. And so how much time do you spend? How much time? And, and I can say that somebody who's been in the church for a long time starts disappearing. I'm going to spend more time reaching out to them than somebody who comes for a couple of weeks and then stops coming or you know, that type of thing or just really blatantly says, leave me alone. <laughs> All right, so Jesus says, I will go out and find them. I will bring them back. I will feed them. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus is our direct teacher you know, in everything. He will use other shepherds oftentimes to teach. And this is the important thing for us to understand. Because I have heard many times, well, I don't believe in organized religion, or I don't believe in church. You know, and I'm going, okay, so how are you worshiping God? Well, I can worship God on the, on the, on the lake or the, on the, on the, on the, at the campsite. I'm going, and my question usually is, are you? And usually I'll get, well, you're trying to judge me. I go, no, I'm just asking, are you worshiping God in those places that you say you can? And the answer is, yes, you can worship God anywhere. But if you are isolated, you will drift away from God. It is just a matter of fact. If you take a hot, glowing coal out of the middle of a fire and set it off to the side, it will glow for a little while. And if you set it on fuel, it might ignite some fuel, but if you just set it on a rock, 
it's going gonna, it's gonna to die. You leave it in the fireplace with fresh wood, it'll continue to stay hot. And God says, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together, and so much more as we see the day approaching. We need one another to stay on fire for God. And every time I've seen somebody pull away from the church, and I'll hear them say things like, well, I can be on my own, and, and you know, I know God well enough, I know the word of God, I'm not, I'm not this, I'm not this, the pastor just doesn't feed me, or, you know, I don't know anybody in the church, and you watch them, and in a very short time, they will be not following God in any way, shape, or form. Not saying they're not saved, but they just drift off on their own and stop serving God. They're not witnessing anymore. They're not reading their Bible anymore. They're not praying anymore. They're not worshiping God because when we're isolated from him and his people, we will get cold. And it doesn't matter how strong they are. This is the problem with a lot of pastors who don't feed themselves by any other teachers or spend time studying for personal study. If all they're doing is studying for, them, for their, their messages, eventually they're going to lose their own fire. And you've se- I've seen it several times with people that I know are going, what's going on? Well, I don't know. I just, don't, I just feel cold these days. I just don't feel like God's listening to me. I just don't feel like I'm getting anything out. Uh, how much are you feeding yourself? How much are you being fed? Which is why I tell you, I listen to a lot of pastors. I listen to a lot of speaking because I want to be fed. I want to be built up. I want to keep new thoughts in my mind. And I do a lot of studying on my own as well. I do a lot of studying for preaching, but I also try to do studying for myself. Because I need it. I need to be fed. As much as you all need to be fed. Because if I'm not being fed, you're not going to be fed by me. And it's just the way it is. And my ultimate goal is for all of you to be able to feed yourselves. But even then, we need the church to continue to be challenged and to be fed in deeper ways as well. But again, when people pull away from the church, the meeting with other people, they're going to get cold. Now, that doesn't mean you have to come to a church building and everything. It could be a group of four or five people that meet consistently and become a church. Because God said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So you could have three or four people that are just meeting every week or every, every couple days and, and worshiping God and studying his word. And that becomes a church if it's done right. And that doesn't just mean get together and everybody voice their opinions about something. I've seen a lot of Sunday school classes that get to that way. You know, everybody gets together and everybody voices their opinion on what this verse means. Well... One thing about it is opinions aren't worth a whole lot. It really has to be what does God say, and that's why you have to have somebody leading these groups. And I've seen very good tools, uh, things like the Truth Project or other online video things where they'll show it and then everybody gives their opinion on what was said and they just totally destroy what was taught because somebody inevitably is going to give you some really dumb thing, some really dumb statement that's off the wall that has nothing to do with the lesson and then that's all that gets talked about. And we've got to be careful with those because the lesson has to be brought out. God has leaders. He put leaders in our, in our life for a reason. And those leaders are accountable. You know, when I, I talked to somebody and they were talking about how the Truth Project was being done by this one guy who thought he was just a, uh, somebody that lead, you know, just listened to everybody's 
discussions. And she goes, really dumb things are being said. And I go, I'm sorry, I couldn't do that. I'm a teacher. I got to teach. If somebody says something that's way off base, I'm going to tell them, no, that's not right. I'll tell you what, my experience has been is a lot of groups have had that one. And the bigger the group, the worse it is. <laughs> you're right. You don't get anywhere. Mm -hmm. Opinions aren't worth anything. Everybody's got an opinion, and most of them aren't worth anything. And that's like if you try to do a business meeting in some in some businesses, even you know, and you get all these different people throwing out opinions, and if you don't have a, a leader in charge of it that says, "Okay, no, we're this is what we're doing," and stop all of opinions, then you could go have. And I've sat in many of those meetings where nothing gets accomplished. Uh, yeah, a one, one or two hour waste of time where everybody gave these opinions and nothing came out of it, no decision came out of it. Matter of fact, all there was was worse, worse muddied water than you get done. That's why you need the leader to keep the group focused on the topic at hand. Right. And, yeah, that's, that's coming up. Yeah. That's even worse than that. That's not even just the opinions. We'll get to that. But it is important that somebody is the leader and says, Basically, the buck stops here at the leader. And that's what God says. When, and this is the sad thing about so many churches out here. There's churches that are run by deacons, run by boards. And God says the one who's accountable is the pastor. You know, and the pastor goes, well, God, uh, the deacon board wouldn't let me do this. And God's going to say, well, I'm the one you were put in charge. If you let them run it, that was your problem, not mine. Uh, the husband comes to the, goes before the father and says, well, my wife made all those decisions. And goes, God goes, but you're the one I'm holding accountable. You were, you were made the head of the house. And very important that we keep leadership important. And that doesn't mean a leader runs roughshod over everybody. A good leader listens to, listens to the people, helps direct the people. And you know, in the case of the husband, no wife is going to have a problem submitting herself to her husband if he's loving her like Christ loves the church. Because Christ gave his life and, and was humble and served, and served his people. So the husband serves his wife, cares for his wife the way God loves her, Christ loves her. She's not going to have a problem submitting, just as we won't, don't have a problem submitting to Christ when we understand how much he loves us. And this is what a leader does. A leader loves their people so much that they care for everything that goes on. I care for everybody who slips away or is gone for a while. I care that anybody who doesn't have sound doctrine, I care about that. I've, now, I've prayed a couple times, God, why did you make me love people? Because it hurts to love people. To watch people make bad decisions and, and know that you care so much for them and know that they're hurting themselves for it, and then you start just you know, grieving that they're going to go through so much pain is a really tough thing sometimes. And you know, I know God needs it for the leader to needs to love their people, but it's a hard place to be many times, just to love people. Let's see, thirteen. Yeah. <coughs> You're right. Wow, thirteen. And I will bring them out of the from the people and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land and feed them upon the mountain of Israel by the rivers and all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in a good pasture and upon the high mountains of Israel shall, no, shall be their fold and they shall lie in a good fold in a fat pasture shall they feed upon the mountains of Israel. 
I will feed my flock and will cause them to lie down, says the Lord. So he says, I'm going to gather them and I'm going to put them in good pastures. And then he goes even further and goes, all of Israel, it doesn't matter whether they're in the mountains or in the, in, the, in the valleys, it's going to be good pasture. In other words, he's saying, I'm going to make this place safe for them. And you know, when God makes a place for us, it doesn't matter where we are. And Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the shadow of the valley of death, I will fear no evil. God says, even in those really bad places, I'm there. I'm your shepherd. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to, I'm going to take care of you. He says, I'm going to gather them all around in the mountains of Israel, and they shall lay in a good fold and fat, fat pasture or a very abundant pasture. Uh, not full of fat, but just lots of food, lots of food for them. And, you know, the great news is I love to follow God and, and just see how he takes care of everything. Just to know that he is in charge is such a great pleasure for me. To know that he's taking care of me, to know that he wants the best for me and for each one of you. God wants the best. And this is the wonderful thing. Even when we think we're going through really hard, bad times, God's saying, I'm using this to bring out good in your life. And this is something we've got to understand. When we go through apparently bad things, God says, just be patient. Be patient. It's good. Yes. I will feed my flock, and I will cause them to lie down, says the Lord. Does that mean that he's going to feed them, and they're going to lie down in submission to the Lord? Not so much. It means the lambs or the sheep will not lie down unless they feel at peace and protected. Right. I mean, yes, it's submission, but it's more than that. It's that we feel so protected by God that we're at peace. And because the lamb will not, the lamb will get very jittery. If he's not at peace, he'll be very jittery and, and skittish. You know, if they sense any kind of dangerous danger, they will not lie down. They will not, they will bleat. They will. So it's more than just lying down in submission to God. Yeah, it's much more than that. It is, I am lying down, I am resting, I am at peace. Well, it's not even that. It literally is that they are at peace. They do not fear anything. All right. They 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 know they're protected. They know they're safe. And this is when you're when you're that way with God, and you're just laying down resting. You know your next dinner is going to be taken care of because God is protecting you. You know there's no wolves in the out there without that He's going to let come in. You you know that He's taking care of. And when you see a sheep that feels protected that way, they will be relaxed. They won't be bleeding. They, won't, they will be laying down. They'll be enjoying life. They might even frolic around you and play. But when they're, when they're skittish, when lambs get skittish or the flock gets skittish, they'll clump together. And then they'll be really nervous. And you can almost see them shaking when, they're, when everything seems to be going wrong. And he's saying, I'm going to protect you and you're going you're to lie down. And again, he's talking to people who understand lambs in this case. And they know that they won't lie down unless they're at, at peace. Otherwise, they're standing because they have nothing but their legs to try to protect themselves with. And if you catch an animal laying down, they're, they're weak, weak and vulnerable. And if they're skittish and nervous, they won't lie down. So basically, it's saying, you're at peace. I'm going to feed you. You're going to be so peaceful that you're just going to rest. You're going to lie down and rest. You know, it's a wonderful thing when we get that way with God and we just say, God, I'm just going to be at rest. I'm going to just relax. And life becomes so easy when you, during those times when you relax. And hopefully you've all been there at some point in your Christian walk that 
There's times when you've just been so relaxed. It's okay, God, you're in control. I don't have anything to worry about. You know, ideally, we should want to live that way always because he's always the same. It's just our attitude toward him that changes. And, you know, attitude is what's so important for us because our attitude toward God, our attitude toward people, our attitude toward things can be something that really can affect us. Have you, and I've said this over and over, how many times have you heard somebody say something and then you heard somebody else's rendition of it and, and because their attitude was wrong, they, they took the same words and threw attitude in it? I, this is what they said, but this is what they meant. And we throw all this attitude into the, you know, they go, you know, you look very nice today. What do you mean? I don't usually look very good. You know, you know, I've had people actually do that kind of stuff. Uh, I was just trying to give you a compliment. You know, don't, don't freak out. And yet that's what a lot of people will do. Your attitude behind listening to something sometimes will feed into making it a very negative event. The way we're raised sometimes or the way the attitude, if we're in a bad mood, where we've had a lot of bad experiences, it colors our attitude toward anything in the future, and then, then every time something similar happens, we tie it into all the bad that's ever happened to us, and God is saying, get out of the past. Live in where you're going on now. We, we get people who are angry all the time, and every time they deal with somebody, that anger tinges what, how they deal with people. No, we need to be careful and have God change our attitude toward things. There's some people that are just negative about everything. You know, everything that happens, you could have a whole series of good things happen to them, and they're just waiting for the negative thing to come their way. The, the person who worries you know, as a profession, pretty much, if they don't have something to worry about, they worry that they don't have anything to worry about. You know, they're going to find something to worry about. You know, and then everything that comes their way is tainted by that, that attitude of worry. But you know, it all comes down to he, he is our shepherd. He wants us to lie down in peace. And that is just learning to trust him. And we've, we've talked about this so many times. God wants us to trust him. He wants us to rest, to quit striving. And life becomes so much simpler when we stop striving or do it less anyway. I don't know if I've ever stopped striving, but I do less striving today than I've done in the past. And life is so much better. And I keep going, God, help me get rid of the rest of the striving because I, I kind of look forward to the day that I can go through life without striving and just listening to God. I know that won't happen until we get a glorified body, but the idea of learning just to rest in Him and say, God, thank you. And again, we've, we've talked about this. When I say rest in him, that doesn't mean I sit on my butt waiting for him to throw things over my head. But I don't strive. And I hope you all understand what that difference is between going out and doing things and striving to make things happen. You know, got to make this. God, just got to make this happen today. I've got to talk to five people to witness today or else. And God says, well, I've only got three for you to talk to today. Well, God, what about the other two? I have to go talk to somebody. God says, I've only got three for you to talk to today. Now, if anybody really wanted to, we'd probably give them five to talk to, but you know what I'm saying on this. You know, some, sometimes we just, we're pushing so hard to make things happen in our life. God, I just got to talk to this person. I just don't know how to get around to it, but God, I've got to talk to them. And we strive and we work and we mess up, our, mess up every conversation with them as we're trying to strive to talk to them. And then other times we get done talking to somebody, wow, that was a wonderful time, God. You really, you really spoke to me, and I didn't even realize I was doing it. That's when you're at rest. 
When you hear somebody says, you know, I learned a lot from talking to you for just that few minutes. You know, I, I really learned a little bit about God. You really touched me about God. And you weren't even thinking that you were touching them. You were just speaking from the heart, letting God speak through you. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this, Lord. We ask you to help us be good leaders of people. Lord, help us to learn just to rest in you and to take comfort in that you're our shepherd and you're our caregiver, that you will give us all the peace that we need. And we just thank you in your son's name. Amen.